Well, now that I'm uh, <clears throat> all ordained and installed and everything, I can finally start telling you guys some of my backstory. Um, I used to work at a calendar factory, but unfortunately I got fired for taking a couple days off. <laughs> I have paused for laughter here, so <laughs> you guys did great. Um, all right, so we're going we're gonna to read uh, in Habakkuk, uh, read a few verses. Um, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, you can follow along. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. Um, if you hit Exodus, not quite far enough. Um, so Habakkuk, one of the minor prophets. Um, and we're going to read verses 6 through 20 today in chapter 2. So Habakkuk 2, verses 6 through 20. <clears throat> Um, and why don't, we, uh, why don't we pray before we read God's word. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that we get to come before your word, hear what you have to say to us. I ask that you would give us hearts willing to hear, Lord. Hearts that are uh, not focused on ourselves, but focused on you, on what you are doing, on your glory. May you guide us, Lord. May you confront us in our sin. And may you comfort us that uh, you are a God who, who cares for your people. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's, uh, let's read Habakkuk 2, um, verses 6 through 20. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise? And those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnants of the people shall plunder you, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself. And show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. As will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man. And violence to the earth. To cities. And all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in its own creation. When he makes speechless idols, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise, can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, but there's no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. That's uh, the end of the reading of God's word this morning. Um, So... Just to remind y'all of where we're at, all right, we're working through Habakkuk. Uh, we just talked about last week um, how the Lord has diagnosed Habakkuk's problem, all right? What is, what is Habakkuk's big problem? What's his, his issue? 
the one thing that the Lord is, is, is pointing at and saying, this is what I need to change. What's going on? You remember? Clearly, I'm a, such a great teacher that you all have remembered super great. Um, who is, I'm going to ask you this, who is, oh, Dave? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's complaining. Yeah, he's complaining. Who is who is Habakkuk ultimately concerned about? Himself. Himself. Yeah, that's the issue, right? It's not that he's necessarily praying and saying, "God, what's going on?" He's he's putting a plaint, uh, a complaint before God. Yeah, but the the main issue, right, is the attitude, the heart behind it. That well, this is coming from a, a self interest point of view. Uh, Habakkuk is worried about himself worried about what's going on in his life. Right? His complaints were about how, Lord, I see all these bad people in my life, and I need you to clean my life up. Right? Fix the, the problems in my life of the people around me who are wicked uh, and who are oppressing me because I'm one of your, your faithful people. I'm one of your righteous. And the Lord says, um, I'm going to fix the problem. All right. You're not going to even understand. You're not going to believe what I'm going to do. Because what he's going to do, right, is he's going to wipe out Israel. He's going to sweep them away with the Chaldeans. And Habakkuk says in verse 12 of chapter 1, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. Right? In other words, um, no, you're not going to do that, God. You can't kill us. You can't destroy us with the Chaldeans. We're your people. And then he takes his stand on his watch post, right? Habakkuk plants his, his foot and says, all right, God, let's go. You think you can kill us? Well, I'm going to do battle with you. I'm going to prove that you can. Um, and the Lord says, well, Habakkuk, if you think that you are one of the righteous, let's find out what standard you're living by. So we talked about last week how Habakkuk is comparing himself to others. Right? His standard for why he's one of the righteous is that he looks at the others, the Babylonians and the faithless Israelites, says, well, I'm better than them. Right? I'm not like the Babylonians who are idol worshipers. I'm not like these Israelites who, are, who have turned away from you, God. I've been faithful. And the Lord says, the righteous one shall live by his faith or by his faithfulness. In other words, the standard to live up to is perfection. The standard is God. It's not how you match up to other people. It's how you compare to God. And so the Lord tests Habakkuk in this way and says, this is the problem, is that your self-interest, you're focused on yourself, and the solution is you need to die. Um, And you need to lose that earthly-mindedness by dying to it and having a heavenly mindset. Um, and then the Lord also says in the beginning of chapter 2, right? he says in verse 2, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Um, and then what we just read this morning, verses 6 or 12, or 20, this is the vision. Right? This is the vision that the Lord gave. Um, this is the vision that will await its appointed time, that it won't lie. Right? If it seems slow, wait for it. 
it will surely come. It won't delay. Um, and so in this uh, vision that the Lord gives to Habakkuk, there's, there's five woes. I don't know if you noticed that, but there's not, not woe dude, but like five pronouncements of judgment. Um, there's one in verse 6, one in verse 9, one in verse 12, one in verse 15, and one in verse 19. So there's, there's five of these, five pronouncements of judgment, um, each with their own slightly different focus. And the Lord calls these, in verse 6, right, these are um, taunts or scoffings or, or riddles uh, against, um, or scoffing and riddles for him, right? Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Um, these are meant to, to address the people involved, right? These are, are um, pronouncements of judgment against the people who are like this, um, in other words, you don't want to be on the receiving end of one of these woes. You don't want to be the person receiving this and having the Lord say to you, you're the one who heaps up what is not his own. Uh, so there's a couple of questions that we can ask before we start to unpack all of it. Um, I want to ask one question. Why does God judge people? Because what we have in the section is clear judgment, right? The Lord is, is pronouncing judgment against specific things. Why does God do that? Be, yeah, it's not super complicated because of sin, right? These are, the Lord is saying that the people who are doing these things, these are sinful and wrong things, and thus the Lord judges them. Um, so that tells us, First, that these are meant to confront sin. Right, God puts these down for Habakkuk as a, as a confrontation against sin. The Lord's saying um, that he does indeed see the sin. If you remember, one of Habakkuk's complaint was that God was not doing anything about sin. God says, well, I'm going to do something. Here's, here's what I'm going to do. But why else does God judge people? Why does God judge sinners? And one, one purpose is a confrontation. Is there anything about God's judgment that's comforting? Yeah, it shows he cares. Yeah, especially for those who are being oppressed by the wicked. Right? And, and then the last reason, yeah, to conform. So... You could say there's probably three general categories. Why does God judge people? Well, sin needs to be confronted. It's a comfort to those who are his people, right? because it shows them that God does indeed care about them. Um, and then it's also uh, to conform people to the image of Christ. Um, so we'll talk about that. Right? Why, who, are the, who are the different people reading this section? Who's coming to the section and reading it? Um, and do you think the Lord is making a confrontation or a comfort to those different parties? Who's God talking to? He's talking to the Jews. Okay, he's talking to all of Israel. Yeah. 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 This was not just a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Habakkuk. Right? This was meant to be um, something written down, right, and given to all of Israel, 
So in a sense, God is talking to all of Israel in this section. Do you think the Lord is comforting or confronting all of Israel? I think he's doing both. Pro- he's warning them what's coming, but he's also telling them, you're, you're still my people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So think about, think about how it's a confrontation. How does this con- uh, confront the Israelites, especially in light of where they're at in their relationship with God um, in Habakkuk's time? Dave. He wants them to see that um, they'll take on the ways of the Chaldeans, the people that he's judging here. Um, that's why he wants them to live separate from the people around them. He wants them to focus on him rather than on idols, uh, worship of idols, or whatever whatever the Chaldeans are into. Um, he doesn't want them to do that. So I think it's, it's a warning for them as well to say, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, don't be like the Babylonians. Notice how nowhere in this whole section does God ever address specifically the Chaldeans. Right? The, if you look in your ESV, it probably has a section header. It says, woe to the Chaldeans. The, it's not in the text. Right? It doesn't say anywhere that this is about the Chaldeans specifically. This is meant to be both a confrontation about, yes, the Chaldeans, but also to Israel, right? Don't be like the Chaldeans. Because why is God sending the Chaldeans in the first place? Why? Because they're, they're, they are like the Chaldeans. He's sending the Chaldeans to wipe them out because Israel has already become like them. Because they're already worshiping idols. Because they're already oppressing each other. They're already trying to build up their own heaping up for themselves what is uh, not theirs. Um, they're already doing all of these sinful things. And so the Lord is, is confronting Israel and their sin, saying, you look at the Babylonians, and you say, well, at least we're not like them. And God says, no, actually, you're not much better. And that doesn't leave Israel in a very good place. Right? That's a that's a scary place to be when the Lord says, you're no better than the Chaldeans. But how is it a, a comfort? How does this comfort Israel? Right, God's just told them that he's going to send this raging army of, of idolatrous uh, bad people and wipe them out. How is this section a, a comfort to Israel? John? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beckick has not been super quiet. Um, yeah, absolutely, right? The the temptation for Israel is to be afraid of the Chaldeans and to fear the judgment that's coming. But at the same time the Lord says, well, Don't worry, the Chaldeans themselves will be judged because God is the ultimate judge. They're, they should not fear the Chaldeans. They should fear God. 
And when they do, they see that even through all the wickedness that the Babylonians are doing, they themselves will be judged for it. That God's not letting them get off the hook. Right? He's using them for a purpose, um, but they are not going to go scot-free. Right? There will be justice. Um, do you think that this section is a, is a confrontation or a comfort to Babylon? What do you think? Because clearly Babylon's in view. Is the Lord confronting Babylon in their sin, or is he comforting them? John? Yeah. As far as we can tell, right, there doesn't seem to be a gracious purpose for Babylon. Right, the Lord is using Babylon to judge Israel, but God's purpose right, is not just judgment for its own sake. Right, there's, there's a purpose behind why the Lord judges, like we've just talked about. Why does God do it? Right, he does it to confront sin, he does it to comfort his own people, and he does it to conform people to the image of Christ. I doubt, at least in Habakkuk, right, that the Lord is not doing the third one for Babylon. Babylon is not being conformed to the image of Christ. Babylon is a tool that God is using to conform Habakkuk and Israel to the image of Christ by killing them and then raising them from the dead. That is the gracious purpose that God has right, for his own people, uh, but they're not in Habakkuk, there is no gracious purpose for Babylon. Aside from a, a call to return, right? a, an implicit call to repent, or these bad things will happen, right? Turn away from your sin, or this will happen. Um, but the Lord is especially concerned with his own people um, and to conform them to the image of Christ. That's ultimately, like, that's why God has this section here, is because he's trying to teach Habakkuk and Israel. He's trying to teach them that he confronts sin, that he comforts his own people, and that his judgments are for a purpose, to conform them to the image of Christ, Um, which doesn't always make sense. We don't always understand why God does things. We have to trust that his purpose is the same. You wouldn't look at the situation and say, well, clearly God is going to, you know, he has this amazing gracious purpose for it. Imagine Israel sitting there and God saying, hey, I'm going to wipe you out. And you're going, you're going, what now? You're going to destroy us? Like that's, how is that part of your gracious purpose for us? And we do that all the time in our lives, right? When God takes something away from us or when life gets really, really hard. Right, is your, is your first thought like, oh, okay, God has a gracious purpose for me in taking this away, so I'm going to trust him? Or is your first thought, well, why does God hate me? Why does God want bad stuff to happen to me? Why does God want me to be sick? Why does he want me to be tired? Why does he want this relationship to fall apart? Why does he want me to be fired? You know, all the things that happen in our lives... At some point, like we, we have to come face-to-face with the same things that Israel is coming face-to-face with. That whether we understand it or not, God has a gracious purpose for us.
Uh, <clears throat> so let's look at some of these woes. Now let's talk about how the Lord is, is confronting sin, how he's comforting his people, how he's trying to conform them to the image of Christ. Um, so if you look at the first woe uh, in verse 6, um, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Um, pledges is actually kind of a, a play on words. It could be, mean like um, you know, loads himself up with debt or pledges, or it could also mean mud. Right? He, he loads himself up with mud. Um, the word play is, woe to him who builds an empire of mud, essentially. Right? He thinks that he's building up this empire, um, this, glorious, this glorious empire built on the backs of other people's stuff. Um, but it's just all mud. Will not your debtors suddenly arise? And those awake who will make you tremble, then you will, you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations and all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. So the, the Lord is saying, right, to those who, who heap up what, are not, what is not their own, who gain by force or manipulation, or by tact, or by even hard work, right? Heaping up for themselves, um, and they build this empire of mud, it's going to come tumbling down. Because all the people that are, are in your wake, right? All the people under the bus are going to suddenly arise and demand justice. I think we've, we've seen that many times in our own culture, in our own lives, in, in Christianity. Like The thing that keeps coming to my mind, right, I can't not think of Mars Hill uh, coming to this section, and how Mark Driscoll said, you know, the, the pile of bodies behind the bus um, is big, and by God's grace, it's going to keep getting bigger. Right? His whole attitude was throwing people under the bus to build up this, this empire, um, and at the end of the day, right, what happened? All those in his wake started talking, and this empire collapsed. Um, that's maybe a, a, a very extravagant example, um, but it happens in our own lives too, where our own empires come tumbling down because we've built them on the backs of other people, and we've built them using other people, building our own our own little kingdoms, like we talked about with Exodus 7. Um, nice. So there's, there's a couple points that I think we should pull from this. Um, the first is, notice in verse 7 where it says, Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Um, and I want to tie that back to the vision that the Lord said, right? This is part of the vision that if it seems slow, wait for it. Right? It will surely come. It will not delay. And here in this first woe, the Lord says, this is going to happen suddenly. Right? Suddenly this empire will collapse. Um, and what actually happened in history follows this. Right? Babylon came to power in about 20 years. It was, they went from nobodies, right? basically nobody. They were not a world power. They were one city. And then in 20 years, they became the ruler of the known world. Like they, they ruled uh, Palestine, they were, ruled Egypt, they ruled Babylonia, Assyria. Um, they basically exploded and became this ginormous empire 
um, heaping up what was not their own, right, plundering other nations, and then it collapsed. The super powerful nation that grew up overnight collapsed in about, I mean, it took 70 years, but Persia just wiped them out. All that power um, quickly burnt out. Right, the, the suddenly happened. This vision came to pass, is what I'm saying. Um, but the Lord is, it also shows us, right, that the Lord cares about the affairs of nations. Um, you can think of the 20th century with the rise of Nazism in Germany and all those countries they took over to slaughter people. And what ended up with them, how they ended up in the war. It's a very important parallel. If you think of that, yeah, we can see that movies, you know, documentaries showing that kind of stuff. That's what's going to happen here. Yeah. It is, it is very rare in history to have an empire that actually lasts a long time. Most empires grow quickly and fall almost as quickly. Partly because uh, it's, most empires are built using other people. Um, it's rare to find uh, a country or, or an empire that is not bathed in blood. Um, and the Lord cares. The Lord cares about his creation. Right? The last verse in this woe, verse 8, um, because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Right? This is the Lord saying that he cares about his people, not just Israel. He cares about his creation. He cares about every human being. And that the violence done to them, he sees it. And that he, for the blood of man and the violence that has been done, the Lord will act and judge. But there's a couple of other, couple of other things that we can pull out from these woes. Um, I want you to notice first, where is it? Um... The third woe, so verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire? Nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So I want you to look at this vision in, in two different ways. One is to see how the Lord is playing it out right in history. Uh, and the other is to see that the Lord is actually projecting further into the future than even our time. Uh, what the Lord has in view is actually even further in the future. Uh, that the Lord is, is making a vision about the end times. Because notice, right, in verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When is that going to happen? When will that when will that truly come to pass? The second coming. Because that's when truly every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord.
judges the people of the earth, not his own, not the people who are sealed, but he judges the people of the earth because they didn't give him glory. And yet they knew what we call general revelation. And that's what he, it sounds like that's what he's exposing them. He wants to move on. But it says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's general revelation to the wicked. And part of his judgment because what they didn't. So kind of in the future, yeah, it's Christ coming, but also the here and now as present. Yeah, there's a sense where that's true. Um, but Habakkuk, he's actually pulling two different sayings. There's the glory of the Lord will fill the whole earth and the knowledge of the Lord will fill the whole earth, Isaiah and I think Jeremiah. Um, but these are, he's, he's kind of combining two different things. But this is a picture of, of God's glory being revealed to the whole earth, which has not yet happened. Like it's true that you know, general revelation says everybody knows about God. They just suppress the truth and unrighteousness, right? Romans 1. Um, but God's glory has not yet been revealed to all the earth. In a sense, it, it is being revealed, right, through the gospel. The gospel is going forth, revealing the glory of God um, for salvation. But I think what the Lord is, is saying here is that there's going to be this, this time, this day, when the whole earth will be confronted with God's glory, it will be visible to all people, to all men. It will fill the earth. And God's glory, his presence, cannot coexist with the wicked. This will be the day when the wicked will be annihilated. Because his glory and wickedness cannot coexist. His glory extinguishes it. Um, so I think, I think the Lord is, is, yeah, he's saying, here's this judgment against people in time, in history, Right? He's confronting Babylon with his own glory and saying, you cannot continue to, to harvest the nations like they are wheat, because um, I am the Lord. But he's also, this is a picture of, of even further forward. Um, and I think, especially for Habakkuk, the Lord is, is revealing something to Habakkuk. He's saying to Habakkuk, right, as big a picture as you think you have, God has an even bigger picture. He has, he has end times in view. That the judgment in history is a little, a little sample, a little Costco sample right, of, the, of the end times judgment that will be complete um, and throughout the whole earth. That's, that's what I think is, is happening. Um, especially because <clears throat> uh, the last woe and I think is, like you, you already brought up verse 20, but I think the Lord is, is pushing us in a certain direction, right? He's pushing us towards his, his ultimate rule as judge and as king. Um, so verse 18, he says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation, and he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake. To a st- silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. I want you to notice, right, that verse 18 What profit is an idol when its maker shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. How do, how do idols lie to us? 
What kinds of lies do idols tell? Charlie, is that your end? Yeah. So they promise security, comfort, abundance, satisfaction, joy, all those things which God reserves for himself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Idols idols say, Well, you will be happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise if you, you know, worship me. Um, but is that is that really the idol talking? There's no breath in them. <laughs> There's no breath in idols. It's not actually the idol saying that. That's us. That's us believing that that's what the... We're lying to ourselves when we worship an idol. I think it's demonic. I think Satan's the one who's saying it. Because you think about Israel's past and said, these are idols, are demons. They're fake. And they're deceiving. It's true. Yeah, that's true. But the devil can't be everywhere. Um, he's not God. And I think the majority of idols in our own lives are our own hearts. Right? We, we worship ourselves. And we, we project that onto something else, right? With maybe not even realizing it. But at the end of the day, what we're really worshiping is we're worshiping ourselves. Um, like, yeah, it's true. The devil's active. He's lying. He's convincing people to worship him in false ways. But for most of us, right, we're, our, our own danger is, is our own hearts and being led astray. And the devil knows that, right? He doesn't need to go around and tempt every one of us individually. He builds up things that will draw all of us um, as uh, we follow our own desires. Charlie? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hadn't thought about it just like that, but yeah, I think that's that's compelling, right? There's no breath in it. Like he he says that we're the makers of these idols, right? But the maker that trusts in his own creation. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that in less than four minutes somehow. Um, I don't understand how time flies so fast. Um, so what other what other lies do we tell ourselves? Maybe not necessarily about you know ourselves. What lies do we say about God? Do you think? None of us is making a, a wooden or gold statue in our house and bowing down. If you are, you need to fess up. Um, that ain't kosher. Um, <laughs> sometimes you just say stuff. and it's, um, Most of us are not doing that, right? Most of us are probably saying false things about God. 
believing false things about who he is and creating an idol in that way. So what, what false things do we say about God? I think we say the same things that Habakkuk says. You don't, you don't see what's going on. You're not paying attention. Um, you know, how can you, how, you were blaming God. How can you bring this upon me? Yeah. Yeah. We believe that God is evil, that he hates us, and that he wants nothing for us except pain and suffering. That's what God wants for us. There's a, there's a sense, too, maybe where we think that God is not accessible. Um, and uh, you feel like, well, I can access this thing, whatever it would be, and uh, I'm not sure I can access God. And maybe that's partly because we, we realize our own sinfulness and we think, well, God couldn't listen to me because I'm a sinner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what are what what are we lacking? What that's not the right way to. We're we're not believing that God is gracious. We believe that He's you know He's good and that He's holy and that we're not. It's all true, but yet we're forgetting that God is gracious and loving, um, and that leads us to to having a, a wrong view of God too. Um, Impatience. Impatient. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Habakkuk's whole thing is this is you you're not doing it fast enough, God. God says, I'm gonna do it. Wait. Um Yeah, we, we also say things like, Well, God wants me to be happy. <laughs> Does he? <laughs> Show me the verse that where it says God wants you to be happy. I'll show you a bunch of verses where it says God wants you to be holy. And where God wants you to be like him. Where God wants you to be joyful. Right, where he actually commands that. But when we say, right, God wants me to be happy, what we really mean is God, God will give me what I want. God's like, you know, this big comfortable teddy bear who's going to give me what I want. Um, but God wants me to be, you know, wealthy, or he wants me to be healthy. God wants me to be X, Y, Z. Like, we, we create a God, you know, a Build-A-Bear style, of all the different parts that we like, and we leave out conveniently the parts we don't like, right? His justice, his judgment, the fact that he confronts sin, that God says that death is how, death is the path. To die to yourself. That is the path to righteousness. It's not the easy road. Um, Jesus said, it is enough that a servant be like his master. Yeah, just to be like him. <clears throat> and so we come, you know, and through this whole passage, I think what the Lord is, is doing is he's, he's confronting Habakkuk um, with his own glory. Right, all these woes, ultimately, these are all about people seeking their own glory. Right, The one who heaps up what is not his own. The one who gets evil gain to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm in verse 9. Right, someone pursuing security and, and safety, but also glory, because it's, they're trying to be set apart from harm. Um, the one who builds a town on blood. The one who wants to shame his neighbors. Um, the one who creates an idol. These are all glory seekers. 
And the Lord says in verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Um, and this keeping silence before him, this is um, an, a, a picture of, of waiting, right? I think this is a throne room, courtroom picture where all the earth is arrayed before God, awaiting his decision, awaiting his, judge, his judgment, right? The, the court is in session. The judge is about to announce the verdict. All the earth keeps silence, um, and what this means is when it gets to this point, it's too late. Right? There's no more evidence can be submitted. Right? No more witnesses can be brought forth. There's no more making any defense of yourself. When it gets to this point, standing before God, it's silence and awaiting his decision. And I think this, for Habakkuk, is a shock. Partly because Habakkuk doesn't know when to shut up but also because the Lord is saying, you need to wait for my decision. And you need to keep silence before me. Because you've had your say, and now it's my turn. Um, and I think both, right, in the history, and the for Habakkuk, the Lord is saying this, but he's also speaking about the future. Um, when we will come before God, and we will have to keep silence before him but there is someone who will not keep silence on your behalf. In Christ, we have a, not just a, you know, a, a faithful friend or a king, but we have a mediator, an intercessor, someone who makes a defense on our behalf. Because it'll be too late for us to make a defense. <laughs> and even if we were, right, what, who, who among us could say that we have led a life worthy of an innocent verdict? We can't, but we have a Savior who makes that, that, who makes the case for you because of what he has done, because of his own blood. So I think for Habakkuk, right, it's shut up and trust me <laughs> and rest in me because the righteous shall live by his faith, not by all the things he has done, but by his faith in Christ. Right, we're, we're well out of time, so thanks for spending 45 minutes. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll have some time of fellowship before we, we convene for, for, uh, for worship. Almighty God, we thank you that you are our king, that you are a righteous judge. Lord, there is no falsehood in you. You don't take a bribe. You make the, the correct verdict every time. And Lord, we are sinful. If it were up to us, we would have already earned our guilty verdict. Lord, we plead with you to have mercy in us through Christ. Help us, Lord, to cling to him in faith, to turn away from our idols and from the lies we tell about you and about ourselves, to worship you, Lord, to stand before you, to bow before you, and to keep silence before you, because you, Lord, are our king, and to you belongs all the glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.